Coming up next on Chapters, we'll speak with an elite athlete who has refused to be defined by her age. Chris Miskinis has run over 50 marathons and has no plans to slow down. We'll speak with Chris about this amazing accomplishment and the incredible story behind the reason she continues to run. All that and more coming up next on Chapters. My name is Jim Derrick and welcome to another edition of Chapters. In studio today we have a very special guest and I'm just thrilled that she was able to join us. Chris Miskinis. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Chris has an amazing story, having completed 53 marathons in her life, and this will be her 33rd Boston Marathon coming up this spring. Is that right, Chris? Yes. And what an incredible feat. I have to tell you, this is something that is almost inconceivable to me. I was joking on the way in. I'm not sure I've driven that far recently. <laughs> it's a story of uh, both uh, the incredible accomplishment of running so many marathons, but also, uniquely, it's a, it's a story of two families coming together in a very special way to support each other. Chris, can you talk a little bit about what your first marathon experience was like and how you got into the sport? Well, I used running as a social connection to other people. And, you know, my parents went to Boston to the marathon um, to see it before I even, you know, started running. So it was just like in everybody's heart. Boston Marathon. And then when I started running, I decided that that was something that I'd love to do. And I worked to qualify. I qualified at in Florida and ran my first marathon in Boston. And it was just so exciting. Around 1978 or so? 81, 81. was okay. my first. And, and so really, it was just a challenge to yourself? Yes. No. Yes. You know, just something it seemed like Bill Rogers and there were a lot of American sure. runners and it was just a, you know, something that didn't seem that big because American runners were, you know, were great at it. Too. Right. Right. Now, over time, that changed for you in terms of your reasons changed for running. At first, I just ran you know, it was a personal thing for me. I would only tell a few friends that I was running in my running club, but really not a lot of people that I just thought it was, you know, something I wanted to do. And I always thought, what if I didn't finish that I just, you know, it was just something that I wanted to do. And then as the years went on, I realized that, of course, I was going to finish that, that and the people that I was sharing this with were were so incredible. And my son um, had a, has had a big brother now for 24 years. Right. And I decided that I could run and raise money for big brother, sure. big sister. Sure. Um, and then and then I started paying more attention to the charity runners and and what was on their shirts and their reasons why they were running. So it wasn't just they weren't just running for themselves. They were running for other people people and it was part of a whole like you know nation of of people doing something good um and and I became a charity runner as well I raised money for Big Brother for 11 years right. and and the one of the reasons why it's so important for me to continue running the marathon is that the the day is so incredible that the people 
that I'm running with young and old, um, people that have far more challenges than I'll ever have. And while I'm running, I see people, maybe someone with a respirator or others that are blind that are running tethered to someone Mm -hmm. or women, you know, with just part of their arm or or a leg um, and guys and they're passing me and I, you know, and I'm so fortunate to be there and, and we're all sharing one goal for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's the, to me, that's such a powerful metaphor for life boy, in so many ways. You're pushing yourself beyond normal limits to do something in a communal setting. And then you're looking around and you're saying to yourself, boy, how lucky am I? I'm going to be tired after this race, but that person still won't have their arm or that person still won't be able to breathe normally. Or maybe that person will still have cancer. And so it's really expanding your mind. I want to back up a little bit, Chris, um, because an incredible story is, is one of the relationship that Jim Norton, who is in the Big Brothers Hall of Fame, which is just incredible, has had uh, with your son, Brendan Sewell, for now over 20 years. 24 years. 24 years. Our families have been together for 24 years. Um, Jim started with Brendan. Brendan was 10 years old. I was a single parent, and Jim was a speech pathologist, and that was Brendan's major issue. And Jim, through the years, have been there for us and, you know, attended meetings at school and got him what he needed. Um, he, you know, people listened to him because of who he was and sure. what he had done, sure. what he was doing. Um, so it was just a, it was just someone that that Brendan needed, and Jim filled that spot. Right. Not only being taking him out and doing things and being a friend to him, but helping him have a better life. Right. Uh, you know, it's just it's just an incredibly heartwarming story. The fact that. Jim was a speech pathologist. That was kind of random, wasn't it? Yes. And it, and it turned like... out to be such an <laughs> asset, right, over time. <laughs> we were lucky, and, and it ended up that Jim is far more than, you know, than that, and that we could have ever imagined right. in his family. It's just like it's like it was. we were born this way. It's, it's an amazing story of, you know, when you say things happen for a reason, this sure sounds like that. And I read about Brendan, how he really learned uh, social skills skills through Jim's relationship with him. Brendan has an intense love for sports. And he, because of Jim, like that's what Jim developed and he developed um, his love for for hockey. And and Brendan now plays ice hockey himself. And, you know, and Jim was a guy to guy thing that they could go to sports and he did in you know, teach Brendan about, and Brendan now has that's Brendan's strength and love of of sports, and he knows statistics, and he knows you know everything about all the sports, and he feels good and confident because he has that knowledge, sure, and that was all developed by Jim. But but it was but it's Jim and Jim's family that even Jim's sister has taken Brendan to a, a Red Sox game, and they're wonderful. The Norton to us. family refer to Brendan as Uncle. Brendan. Yep. Yep. And uh, Uncle Brendan has a big role in that family. 
Yes. Jim yes. asked him to do a couple of very special things along <laughs> yes. the way. Yes. Yes. Brendan was in Jim's wedding, um, and Brendan is the godfather of Jim's daughter Julia. Uh, it's just so that that they had the christening on Brendan's birthday, and Brendan would have never had that opportunity. So, right. So we're we're so lucky that it's a family beyond. Well, I think you've been blessed uh, twice, first with Brendan and then with Jim, and then they're, they're this this wonderful relationship. And then the story continues from there. Um, you're raising money for Big Brothers Big Sisters. You've had this wonderful, wonderful relationship with them over the years. Jim has been more than you could have ever dreamed of. You've now got a family that's joined together. And uh, something happens to one of Jim's children that, that uh, allows you to sort of uh, reach out and become the helper. Can you talk a little bit about that? There, um, last year, uh, Jim's um, son had a rear bone um, cancer, and um, everybody was on a website saying what they were going to do for, to help out the family to during his treatments. And Jim's son Will is uh, fifteen. So we're in Foxborough and they're in Cohasset and we're trying to think of what can we do that we're not just, we can't help with transportation and the kids going to school and, and sports and so forth. And then um, I realized that possibility would be to, to join the Dana-Farber Marathon team and raise money for, for Dana-Farber where Will was being treated at the time for his Irwin's sarcoma right. cancer. Right, right. And, and at 15 years of age, Jim Norton has, uh, now this is, again, this is Brendan's big brother, Jim Norton, who is uh, married with four children. Uh, one of those children is, is Brendan's goddaughter, and um, her brother, Will, uh, comes down with this cancer and is treated at Dana-Farber, and now you're able to to reach out and to help this family in a way that they really needed support. Right. Um, in in a way that, of course, no one ever imagined. Right. But a very special, meaningful way that just warms my heart and warms everybody's heart that this could be the next connection with all the families and our friends and the people that donated for the 11 years for Big Brother. Most of them don't even know Jim, but they know the story of Brendan mm -hmm. and Jim. So when I decided to run for Dana-Farber and I sent out my letter with the news story about, yeah. you know, Jim's son, Will, and and our new connection and our new mission, I had I raised $13,341 for Dana-Farber for cancer research and the greatest thing is that 100% of all money raised goes directly to cancer research. Right. I want to remind people that are just tuning in. This is Chapters Radio on 102.9 WFPR-FM in Franklin. You can also be found at my podcast, which is Chapters Radio. Com. And we are speaking with Chris Miskinis, who is sharing with us her story of uh, really incredible perseverance through uh, what will be 54 marathons. And we're now talking about the new uh, benefactor of uh, Chris's fundraising challenge, which is the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which was spawned by this uh, love of Will, who is Jim Norton's son, and Brendan Sewell, Chris's son's uh, big brother. 
So we're speaking with Christine Miskinis, and we're at the point where Christine is about to run her 54th marathon and 33rd Boston Marathon this April. Her goal this year is to raise $15,000, and again, she is uh, running for Jim Norton's son, Will, who is now cancer-free thanks to Dana-Farber. And I want to encourage people to get on Chris's personal fundraising page. It is www.rund. F is in Frank MC, Dana Farber Marathon Challenge dot org slash twenty eighteen slash Kristen C H R I S T I N E M. Anyway, there'll be a link on my uh, podcast for that. Donations would be gladly accepted. We'd love to push this family and push this uh, mission well up over fifteen thousand dollars if we can. So the incredible part of this story is that we've now come almost full circle here in that Chris's family, uh, which are in now inextricably linked with uh, Jim and his family, are now reaching out and helping Will. And um, Brendan's been in the wedding uh, of Jim, his, his wedding. He's also now a godparent. So uh, they, they are attached at the hip for a very, very long time for life. And uh, happily, Brendan's living are, uh... independently right now. Yes. Right. Um, actually, he's living in a shared living situation yeah. with a, an, uh, another family. Mm-hmm. That's, wonderful. That's wonderful. And mm-hmm. and Jim still sees them. And, you know, it's just wonderful. And this is, and I should say, it's, it's for Will, but certainly, you know, all of us have had people, you know, family and friends, unfortunately, that have been touched by cancer. And this is for, you know, this is for them too. Will is Will is cancer-free and we're grateful for that. And this is in Will's honor. But, you know, your donation can be made um, in, you know, your friends or family's honor as well. Thank you for saying so. You're absolutely right. And in honor of anybody you, you may choose, but I I would highly recommend you going to to Chris's website, checking it out. It's an incredible story. So I wanted to kind of get roll it back just a little bit, Chris, if we could. Um, There are some really interesting aspects to your marathoning. Um, One of those was that your family has been involved all along as spectators, right? And so Brendan has been to almost all of your marathons? Brendan has been to almost all of them, and he's right there all the time for me. Um, When my mother was alive, my mother was there, and my father, when he was with us, he was at the finish line for me, too. Um, And then my mother, even when she was in a wheelchair, she was she was there watching. In fact, um, there's a joke that some little girl thought my mother was part of the race and started cheering for her. And my mother was so excited. <laughs> so, but I have this beautiful memory of coming around this corner and the sun, my seeing my mother in her wheelchair and the sun shining on her and and she looked so beautiful and I just went over and hugged her and it was. You know, like whenever I'm in the race or I train on the course, I can, you know, see and feel her there, that it was the most beautiful sight to Mm -hmm. see her and Mm -hmm. have her be so happy to be there. Chris, I want to ask you some questions about the actual sport and how you approach uh, uh, your marathons, um, because it's evolved over time. You're not only a personal trainer, but a running coach. And you shared some really interesting tactics that you have. It's more of a it's almost a spiritual experience that you go through as you run. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you approach a race now? Um, it's for many, many years, maybe 15 or 20 years, um, I have a friend that does hypnotism, and 
and we lived near each other, and she would hypnotize me before the race, and now she's in Virginia, so we do it by phone. Um, But she takes me through the race. Um, She relaxes me and then takes me through the race um, and how I'm going to feel, what I'm going to see, how, what all the things that I will experience and what they will do for me so that as I run the race, it's like my body has and my mind has already done this and I know what is going to happen. And it's like running, you know, turning the pages of a book that I've already read and we living it so that my mind knows what to expect. So when you're on Heartbreak Hill, you still feel the pain. <laughs> yes, I feel it. <laughs> but I have I have ways of pain isn't bad. Right. Pain means that you're running a great race. Right. Pain means that you've worked hard up till that point. You want to feel pain because that means you're running at the level that you need to. And and pain isn't going to last forever. You know, that you're going to, it's going to, you go through stages and you just have to get through that to get to the next stage. It just, it just sounds to me like such an incredible metaphor for life because we're all on this planet and we are going to experience joy and pain throughout life. And it's really how we're prepared for those difficult times that's going to, going to in some way define what that experience whether it holds meaning or it doesn't for us, and what type of meaning it holds. Would you agree? Exactly, exactly. Whatever you, why is this happening and how I'm going to deal with it so that, you know, so that you can continue. And that's in life and that's in, you know, running and, and miles so that, um, that, and that's the thing with my, that I feel like I have to show or I want to show my son. You can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. But you just have to earn it. You have to be willing to do the work to get it. But you can get it. What a powerful example for him. What a, what a, what a wonderful way to, to parent uh, by example. I, I just uh, uh, find it truly incredible. Um, I, I want folks to appreciate something. Chris is not your weekend warrior. <laughs> She's sitting in front of me. She told me her age and the way in. I, I, honestly, I didn't believe her. All I can say is she's in incredible shape. She's not a weekend warrior. And what I mean by that is these marathons, she runs competitively. She has run with very low numbers. Her best time was 3.13. So we're talking about somebody who is a competitive athlete and um, at the same time is looking beyond the sport for inspiration, for ways to be empathetic to their neighbor, to for uh, metaphors that she can carry on to her son and anybody else that may be watching like myself or listening. It's it's really a unique uh, perspective that you bring. There's one other chapter in this in this story and that's that you were in the Boston Marathon in 2013 when the bombing occurred. Can you take us through that day and how that played um, out for you? I had just um at mile 25 I have um my one of my good friends for the past maybe 12 years at, is at mile 25 and that's the picture on my letter is that um, um, I trained her in 1998 I started training her and we would run together with a group from the club that where I worked and I did a class there a treadmill class and 
we would go through the treadmill class, and at the end of the class, I'd say, last one, best one. So the last set of intervals that we did, I would always say, last one, best one. So that's become, you know, a mantra yeah, of, yeah. of how we handle a workout. So she's at mile 25 for me every year and says, last one, best one. So I, I had just passed her, and, you know, it is when I see her, I love seeing her, and it also means that I have one mile to That's go. It. And then we were coming, and, and people were kind of scattered, and I thought, wow, this is kind of on Commonwealth that, you know, th- there's a lot of people watching and friends and, you know, it's towards the end of the marathon. So sometimes people will, uh, you know, stop a little bit. And I thought, but this is like too many people around. What's going on? This is just like people are in the way. And I kept running and I'm thinking, you know, and I see people stop, like, I'm thinking, I'm not going to stop. Like, what could make something stop? Like, there's not a train, you know, what it, whatever it is. And they had stopped people going under the bridge. And I thought, well, I'm going to take that other side road. And like the marathon used to go, you know, straight. And now okay. it goes under the bridge. I'm thinking, I'm just going to run up that side road. Like nothing's going to stop me. I'm a half a mile b- to the finish. So at this point, you, you really don't have any idea of why so, everybody's... No, but I'm thinking, this isn't, you know, I'm not going to stop. Whatever it is, I'm going to find a yeah, way around yeah. it. And you couldn't get up that way. So come down to the bridge and people are like sitting on the side on their phones. And I went up to someone and and I said, what's the matter? And she said, there's been a bomb. And then immediately, you know, I knew that the race was over. It didn't matter. You know, you were thinking about, well, what about my time? How do I stop my watch and stop my watch? And and you just knew the race was over. It yeah. didn't matter. Your time didn't matter. There was a bomb going off. Sure. And the terrible part is, for you in that moment, is that your your husband and son Brendan are in the VIP section at the end. Right, right. And that. So I said, "Well, where was the bomb?" And she said, "At the finish line." And then, then it was like, "Well, of course. Like if someone's going to bomb something, it's going to be the VIP section." But I don't run with my cell phone. I in the service was service spotty. Service pretty much spotty, yeah. Um, yeah. So you just had to wait and wait. And then finally I found someone. People, spectators were like taking one person at a time and trying to help them. So I got someone to call Howard and my husband and they said, he's okay. And then they said something like, the woman said to me, your husband says to say that Alyssa is safe. Don't worry about her. I said, I don't know Alyssa. And he, she said, well, you must. You must be just forgetting someone. I said, no. And I realized that she had called the wrong person. Oh. So for that, like, five seconds now... I don't know that they're safe. Right. I, had, I had thought they were safe. Now I don't and know. How much time safe. would you say went by? I bet so, it's a blur. But yeah, I mean, it it was like like five minutes, no, but I'm okay. sure it was just seconds. Yeah. But it was just that. Oh my God! <laughs> you know, like like called them and and they did get a hold of him and find that he was you know that they were okay. But I couldn't reach him again, and I had said that I would be at this certain spot. Mm-hmm. So I had to stay at that spot. Everybody else went down to the common, and I had to stay at that spot. But it was it was just so sad that there were people there, like, trying to 
be on their cell phones that were from out of state that right. didn't know how to tell their families to where to be and and, where they were and you know, orient so, them in the city you know so yeah. so you're going around and you're thinking of yourself but you're looking at everybody else's trying to do the same thing as to find their families and mm-hmm. is everybody okay and mm-hmm. and no one really knew i remember one guy taking me and and kids and going into their apartments and bringing out their clothes and giving them to giving them yeah. to the runners because yeah. it was getting cold and your husband is is in those stands he sees the obviously sees and hears everything go on and his instinct is to um, really to shelter Brendan from from obviously from an attack but also from the visual aspect of that day yeah is that right Yes. I, later I found out that, you know, what happened. Mm-hmm. We went, um, finally we met and, you know, like hours later, I had to stay in that spot. And hours later, they found me and and traffic was bad. So we stopped and had dinner and um, you saw it on television. And I'm saying, Howard, is that what you saw? Right. Like you saw that and that that was my country yep. like the, what i saw on television was my country on boston street that everybody knows is the happiest place you know so so he told me the story that he heard the bomb he saw what happened but his instinct was to to be, stay there until he knew he thought that if they left there and ran they might be running into something that was more trouble yeah. so they they ducked down and stayed there mm-hmm. and and he saw what happened but he knew that he couldn't go and help that he wanted to of go course. and help but he couldn't because he had to be with Brendan of course. and and I knew while I was waiting those hours for them to find me that um you know that that if anybody Brendan was with the best person that he could be that Howard would always do some you know he just has a good sense good of instincts. how to yeah. you know take care of yeah. Brendan and the happy end of that is that is that not only uh, first of all that Brendan and, and, and Howard are fine uh, that you're fine but fortunately Brendan uh, didn't see any of the horrific things and 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 so the uh, the trauma from the event I'm sure is still there for him but uh, he wasn't overly traumatized because of your husband's quick thinking right you know right. and the shield and just, of the smoke and things yeah. like that yeah. but but to move on from that I, I just wonder how that has kind of informed you has that changed the way you look at the Boston Marathon at all now well I mean I know it's going to be safe it it kind of took away a little bit of the magic of it because even now my husband doesn't get to go to the see me at the finish line anymore because I come in so much after the first runners and they close off the street so he doesn't it's kind of sad that he doesn't get to see me yeah but you know, but nothing can take away, you know, when it was still the same. In a training run, I wanted to go and run that, you know, that piece before and think of, like, how could I have not found Howard and Brendan? Because we were just a half a mile away, right. and it took hours for right. us to get together. So I wanted to run it, you know, and get the feelings out of it. And in this training run, I was thinking about it so much, I missed Terrafit and ended up at the common. <laughs> and I'm like, can someone tell you know where Terrafit Street is? And I'm down at the club 
coming up saying like, okay, I'm going to be yeah, okay. At, at that point, I've, I've run this uh, 29 <laughs> times and I'm lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, where's the marathon? Did yeah. I pass it? I passed it. Okay. You know, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll be fine on yeah. marathon day. Yeah. So, so it, you know, you, you had to let it go and think of the great things and all the people that were there, yeah. you know, that, that want to make it, you know, a safe and happy place. Yeah. That, that people come from, you know, everywhere to be there. Sure. And, but marathoning is a sport. Now, you, you haven't only run, obviously, Boston. You have, um, you're have you coming up on your 54th marathon, and, and uh, 32 of those, and soon 33 of those will be Boston. So um, when you run other marathons, you must see similar stories of, of, I mean, this is a sport that lends itself to pushing the envelope, and people bring all their baggage. Uh, some of it may be psychological, but there are physical things that people are overcoming this is a common theme in this sport is that yeah, not right yeah it's amazing and it's, where else have you run um i've done several in rhode island foxborough when that was you know just started um i've done las vegas i lived in las vegas wow. for seven years so i did las vegas in california and um this, i've never done the big ones of new york and washington and um you know, not the big ones, Florida. Um, just a, did you a, happen to run Disney? N- no, no, I haven't okay. done. I haven't done. Just curious. Big ones. Yep. Yeah. I've done like Connecticut. I did several in Connecticut. I did um, a couple years ago. I didn't qualify at Boston, and I felt that I didn't run my best. Mm-hmm. So a month later, I ran in Warwick, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. on a Wednesday. They had seven marathons and seven days um and so i ran in a state park that was gorgeous on a wednesday morning mm-hmm. uh, i want to remind everybody we are speaking with christine miskinis uh, she is a marathoner uh, having completed uh, 32 boston marathons and 53 marathons she's about to come up to april uh, to round those numbers out to 33 boston marathons um, and the story behind the story is always is just incredible Chris is raising money for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and uh, she's on the Dana-Farber Marathon Challenge team. We want to help her get to her goal this year of over $15,000 raised. So I'm just encouraging you to uh, to look her up online. That's www.rundfmc.org, and you can look her up under her name, which is Christine with a C, Miskinis, M-I-S-K-I. NIS. If it's any easier for you, just go to my podcast website, which is www.chaptersradio.com, and I'll put a link along with this show uh, to the fundraising page for Chris. Chris and I were chatting before the show, and one of the things that Chris pointed out to me was that um, she has a, a really, really interesting take on her responsibility to get the most out of her body. And can you kind of take us through that? Uh, you've used marathoning and personal training and all sorts of fitness uh, to, to express that. But can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I just feel that I'm so fortunate to be so healthy and strong that I owe it to continue this marathoning and and staying in shape um, to be a role model for other people. I'm 68 years old. I'm healthy. And I want to show my son and other people that, you know, this this can be done. You don't have to age like you see aging happen. 
that um, mentally and physically you can do what you want. You just have to, you know, it just as you get older, you just have to do things to, you know, to stay that way. You know, I was sharing with Chris, um, I'm going to brag here. I ran one marathon. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not bragging. I uh, barely broke four hours. My goal was just not to walk. Um, I can tell you I did cry during the marathon. I shared a lot of emotions. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. But one thing it did for me, Chris, was it stretched uh, my conception of what it was I was capable of and what it was I could endure. And I, I, I'm wondering if that makes sense to you, but it, it, it certainly helped me. I reflect back on it. I was 31 years old. I'm now 57. So I reflect back on that oftentimes when I'm faced with something and say to myself, sometimes even subconsciously, hey, if you could do that last hill at mile 22 in Rhode Island, you can do this, yeah. whether it's physical or mental challenges. Do, do you find that is true? Yes. You just, it's, it's there. You just have to dig in and find it. Mm-hmm. So, and I love what you said about aging. I've heard somebody say to, say one time, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? <laughs> that's cute. Right? right? That's a, but, I mean, that's kind of what you're saying. You're saying don't be limited by a number. Right. Right? I have a friend that has a friend that has a business that is, the title is um, to put age on hold, to put old on hold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what I think you can do. Right. That you and that, really... that doesn't mean putting on a Miley Cyrus T-shirt at, at <laughs> 70 years old and uh, and going to Taylor Swift concerts, unless you happen to like Taylor Swift. I'm not I'm not uh, getting down on her. But uh, but I think what you're saying is to is to allow yourself. Look, it's never too late to start um, training. Right. 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 Or or just to expand what you're doing to another goal that that it's there mm-hmm. and and even if you don't get, you know, to the marathon, maybe you certainly get to a different level of finding out what's really inside of you. And I think that's what a marathon does. You really find out who you are. Isn't that interesting? And, and I love what you said about you don't have to do a marathon to, to, to have this experience. Your marathon might be doing 10 sit-ups at one point in your yep. life, you know? Yep. But as you said, it's pushing beyond what you can, what you thought you could conceive of exactly. doing. Exactly, your body protects you a little bit too soon, so that you just go. It's like if you're in a traffic jam and a detour, and you still have to get to work. Mm-hmm. So you just find a different way to do it, and you override, or you have a long day and a lot of things to do when you're tired, but you know you have to finish your chores. Mm-hmm. So you just override, 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 and, you you know, it's there. You just have to make your mind up that you're going to get there. And, boy, uh, you know, we get back to uh, Brendan, Chris's son, and uh, Jim Norton, his big brother, and that whole story. And I reflect back to uh, things, that you, you know, that, that you've shared with us already about uh, Will's cancer. And, and all of these things are are you take Jim and Jim and Brendan's relationship. That was one of dedication on both of their parts. They had to, for years, show up for each other. Good, bad, or indifferent, they had to be there, whether you're in a good mood, bad mood, right? I'm sure they had hurdles to overcome in their relationship. Yep. And they yep. probably each of them had to push beyond what they thought they were capable of. In the case of Brendan, I read that he had some uh, difficulties with his social skills at one point, right? Yep. In, in speech and, of course, Jim, you know, and his family 
have always been there. So the special, you know, it's just a, a great match for us. And, I, and I can't, I can't imagine. I'm, I, I, I haven't met Jim, so I can't say this for certain. But I'm betting that Jim was out of his comfort zone at times. My point being that this whole thing, this marathon, your, your, your um, uh, yeah. incredible physical accomplishments. And more importantly, the lessons that you take away from it uh, are are just perfectly matched to metaphorically to these other things that have been going on in life. Yeah, as and, you've lived. And it reminds me that with so many times during my training last year, that um, and during the marathon, that I thought of Will and his treatments, and you know what I was going through. I was fine, you know, that that I could get through a 20-mile training run or when it was the marathon that I had to think of what Will and other people like him and other kids and reading the backs of, you know, people's T-shirts in the race and thinking of, of their challenges. And, you know, certainly I could do whatever I had to do to be you know, strong and tough. And, you know, uh, Chris, very humbling to hear you say that. Not everybody's like that. Uh, a lot of us live in bubbles. There's a, there's a great ad out. I've told this story before in this program. It's it's by fun, some financial institution. It shows people walking by each other in the street, and as they approach each other, they have furrowed brows. It's kind of like busy, busy city street, and they bump into each other, and then they freeze it, and a bubble goes up over one of their heads and, and says, you know, just diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, and then they keep walking, and the point is that, that we all have crosses to bear. We're all dealing with something, and but when somebody like you looks around and observes that in the setting of a marathon and actually internalizes that and uses that as fuel to push them forward and, and to take it on as a responsibility uh, to carry your body as far as you can possibly carry it for as long as you possibly can, to honor those uh, that e- either can't or are doing so under extraordinarily difficult circumstances is really humbling, and, and it's, it's a real testament to your character Thank and you. who you are. Um, but, but also, you can see that in the spectators, and especially since the bombing, that the people there, and and I start now. The marathon runners will start at nine o'clock. The elite, and then it goes, you know, through until. And I start maybe at at eleven forty, at eleven twenty. So by the time I get to the, you know, some of the spectators, they've been there for hours and hours, and especially since the bombing, you can tell that they really want to help you and they're really excited and they're, you know, just, they're there with you, for you. It's a communal effort. And they're just, you know, it's just like you do draw your strength and energy from the people watching. And I have friends that go and, you know, are in certain spots every year so that you just, you know, you just can run like friend to friend family and think like that's what you wait. But in between there, it's like 26 miles of your best friends (laughs) on on the route. And, And they're so happy 
and so supportive by you that it makes you feel so good. So this is like a three-hour uh, combination of church and 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 social <laughs> and for you, right? Yeah. Uh, the, for me, it would be seven hours, but yeah. <laughs> but for I mean, you, it's it, a three or it, four it, hour. It's really yeah. a hard. You know, it's a you really have to work during that time. But the whole day's experience is incredible, and I always promise myself, because of that day, that I will train and run again as long as I can because because of the experience sure. of the day. And what is your training like right now? So here we've got April coming up. Are you training right now? You're always yeah. training because yeah. you're a personal trainer. The, but. Until, you know, January. I'm build, so I'm building my base. So yep. I'm up to doing a couple of days of 10 miles. I run three times a week okay. and I cross train and strength train the other days. So now I do um, maybe an eight a 10 and a 12 or a 10, a 10 and a 12. I have to ask you this. What's your resting pulse rate? <laughs> it's um, low. Um, pretty low. Yeah. But I'm, yeah pretty, I'm pretty like when yeah. I'm, yeah. you know, I, there's not too much resting. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good I, I'm, point. Either, I'm either going or I'm sleeping. <laughs> sure. Uh, Chris, I can't tell you uh, how much I appreciate you coming down to the studio. My pleasure. It's, uh, I love telling my story. It's such a great story. It's it's just a wonderful between Jim and his family and Howard and Brendan and and my friends that are so, so supportive. I just love you know. It, it's just a wonderful thing that has brought so many people together for such a great for such a great cause. It's the marathon. But it has a lot, a little different. Well, that's the thing. That that's the amazing part of it, you know. And and you're not just out there running just to see how fast you can go. Uh, and um, as you said, it has it has so many webs that have come off of it. It's incredible. I hope to meet Brendan one day. I really do. I'd love to meet Jim as well. Um, so, Chris, thank you once again. Best of luck. We'll be looking for you. All right, uh, <laughs> folks. I want to encourage you to get on to the Dana Farber. Marathon Challenge website. That's rundfmc.org and look up Chris Miskinis, M-I-S-K-I-N-I-S. And what I'd like to ask you to do is make a contribution. Make the contribution towards her goal of $15,000. Make it in honor of somebody you love and somebody you know that's battling cancer right now. Make it with the knowledge that if you don't have anybody in your life that's been personally affected, make it with the knowledge that it's going towards a cause uh, and, a, and, a, and a place which does amazing things. We have a 15-year-old young man right now by the name of Will Norton who is walking around today uh, with a leg that he could have easily lost to this illness thanks to the efforts of Dana Farber. And I will remind people, Will is Jim Norton's son, and Jim Norton is the big brother to Brendan, who is Chris's son. What a wonderful story. So that's our show for today. I want to thank Chris Miskinis again very much for coming in. My name's Jim Derrick, and we'll see you next time.